welcome to Pocket Fiction by Steve Cook. The Lion and the Lamb. John half closed his eyes as the brisk wind buffeted him. Cloud shadows were scudding across the Cumbrian hillside and further down the hill, the flock of MCs were moving to follow the setting sun's rays. The PV cells on their backs winked as their wheels propelled them across the grass. Nodding in satisfaction, John clicked his tongue at Wisp and the sheepdog got up. John bent down and flicked the little switch on her collar. Walk on, he said, and Wisp began to trot towards the herd. Like sheep, the little wheeled devices broke ranks in confusion, moving away from the collar's signal. Come by, John said, and Wisp began to move clockwise, corralling the MCs into a circular mass. John watched in satisfaction as her small black and white form moved confidently around them, picking up the stragglers that threatened to move too far from the group. Before he could even speak, she spotted more MCs breaking loose on the far side and reversed her movement to gather them. Together, farmer and dog herded the MCs into the small pen further up the hill, and as the last of the little devices rolled in, John latched the gate closed behind them. That'll do, he murmured, and Wisp trotted over to lie next to him. John leaned on the gate and looked at his flock. The mobile photovoltaic cells switched off one by one, sensing that there wasn't enough sunlight to power even their tiny motors, and within a minute the pen was quiet and still. John stroked Wisp's head. Home time. Together they walked the mile down into the valley around the outcroppings of brilliant purple bell heather and dense crowberry, then up onto the neighbouring hill towards the lonely farmhouse. Made of grey stone and roofed with local slate, the house sat at the very top of the hill and, before he went in, John took one more look around at the darkening landscape. The Langdale Pikes, the Coniston and Eastern Fells, their slopes orange with fern, every one a long walk and a climb, a reminder of how different life was now that they lived so far from the city. Even the view down onto the ruins of old Grasmere, long abandoned and overgrown with green, did little to suggest civilization. The last rays of sunlight burst out from the low amber clouds and John drew the clear evening air deep into his lungs. With a smile, he turned and went into the house. The fire was crackling in the grate, and the smell of roasting meat wafted from the oven. Hannah was stood at the sink, her dark hair curled perfectly around her face as she turned her smile to him. I was beginning to wonder if you'd ever get in. Dinner will be on the table any minute. John hung his tweed jacket up on the back of the door and loosened the laces on his boots. Aye, well, the MCs were a little fractious this evening. Nearly time they were drained. Wisp had to work a little harder to get them in, is all. Hannah shook her head. The way you talk about them, it's like they're real animals to you. Why not just use the return signal? Opening one of the drawers in the big oak dresser, John got out two sets of cutlery. You know why, Hannah, love. The signal uses such a big chunk of the energy. Per day it's not bad, but you add it up over a week, a month, a year. It cuts into our profit margin. And besides, he said, settling down at the table, it keeps me and Wisp fit, eh? He ruffled the dog's ears and she huffed happily. I can't deny you seem more carefree out here, Hannah said, fumbling in the drawer for the carving knife and fork. I do wish we had a dishwasher though sometimes. She placed the knife on the table near to John's place and opened the oven door. 
A huge gout of steam wafted out, carrying with it the scent of roast beef, potatoes grown in their own garden, and the makings of good gravy. Just about done, she said, lifting the tray out of the oven with a pair of mitts on her hands. Looks. She stopped as a high-pitched whine dropped into hearing, followed by a low buzzing that got closer and louder. Post, John said. They're getting later, and they keep delivering by drone. Dearest, we live in the middle of nowhere, Hannah said, raising her voice over the noise. It's just practical. Wasteful is what it is. Still, it's not my energy they're using. John opened the front door. Hovering there, about the size of a man's torso, was the red drone. It extended a pincer, clutching envelopes. Your mail. Thanking you, John said, taking the small pile. The drone tilted its whole body in a sort of bow and took off, blowing dust into the house. Damned things. John pushed the door closed, coughing as the dust settled. Right then. He settled back into his chair and began to flick through the mail as Hannah brought plates heavy with food to the table. Junk. Junk. Uh, magazine for you. Bank statement. Uh, uh, what's this? He tore one of the envelopes open and slid out the letter inside. Anything good? Aye, he said, eyes flicking down the page. Second year statement from PV Central. Lord above, has it really been two years since we moved here? Says we're in credit for the electric we've generated. A full 15% higher than last year, Hannah. John's face creased into a smile. We're doing it. We're making a living. More than that, we're winning. Hannah reached over and rested her hand on his, matching his smile, and the years seemed to melt away from both of them. John opened his eyes in darkness and wondered what had woken him. He rolled over and grabbed his watch. The little glow-in-the-dark Mickey hands said just gone 2am, and he grunted. Wisp barked, a long series of warnings, and John was bolt upright in a heartbeat. The sound was coming from the front room, and he paused only to grab his dressing gown off the hook. What is it, lass? he asked, moving over to her. She was scratching at the door, her whole body resonating in a deep growl. John crossed to the window and peered out. Lights were winking over by the pen, bright in the darkness, and shadows moved nearby. He swore and grabbed his boots. Hannah came into the front room, wrapping her own dressing gown around her. What's going on? Stay in the house, John said, pulling the laces tight. Call the police, and then go into the bedroom. He moved to the cupboards over the sink and reached up, feeling for the long hessian sack that was hidden there. Hannah's eyes were wide. What do I tell them? Poachers, go, get in there now. John moved to the door and pulled the shotgun out of the sack, hands trembling slightly as he broke it open. One of the fat shells rattled onto the floor, and he knelt, scrabbling in the darkness for it. Quiet, lass, he said, as Wisp's growl rose in volume. Finally, he found the shell and slid it into the chamber, then snapped the gun back together. He stood and moved to the door, taking a deep breath before slowly opening it. By me, he muttered and slipped out into the night. The darkness was almost complete, barely enough to see his own feet, but he knew these hills and his step was sure. The moon, only a thin crescent, was hidden behind thick clouds, and the wind howled. As he broke into a jog, a tiny part of him was impressed at his own response. A lifetime of living in the city had done nothing to prepare him for country living, but real food, constant exercise, that hardened him. His breathing was sure and steady, where just a couple of years ago simply climbing the stairs to his office had winded him. As he reached the narrow valley between the hilltop he lived on and the pasture, 
he slowed his pace. The incline grew steeper, and as he grew closer to the light, he began to pick out more details. It was a flatbed truck, its interior lights giving the shadows texture. Four people were stood around it, two of them going from the pen to the truck, carrying what were unmistakably his MCs. Oi! John shouted, gun half-raised. The hell do you think you're doing on my land? All four, three men, by the looks of them, and a woman stood by the truck's cab, turned in his direction. The two with guns raised them, and John brought his own gun up to his shoulder. Wisp put her legs wide, lips pulled back from her furious snarl. Finish loading these in, the nearest man said, walking forward. All right, oldster, these are ours now. I said, get off my land, or I'll set my dog on you, John shouted, injecting as much bravado as he could into the words. I've called the police. Just shoot him, Brian, the woman said, one foot already up into the truck's cab. The drones will take forever to get here. You're crazy, old man, Brian said. He had a beard and was wearing a T-shirt, an obscene hyper-colour logo emblazoned on it over ragged jeans. He couldn't have been more than teenaged. These little things, they're not worth dying for. We're going to strip them down, sell the vaults and call it done. So what? So you can buy more petrol to put in that thing? John shook his head. I'm amazed you even found one that works. They were decommissioned for a reason. Brian shook his head. They're cheap. And all the bullshit propaganda the government puts out about us ruining the earth? Like any of us will live to see that. Behind Brian, the other two men loaded the last of the MCs into the truck. They whined, their wheels turning in confusion as they were moved before their programme dictated. And one of the men jumped up onto the bed. Quiet, he shouted, kicking down. Brian half turned. Don't break the merchandise, he said. For an instant, his attention was off Wisp, and her growls became ringing of arcs as she raced forward towards Brian, leaping up at his gun. There was an explosion of light and sound as it went off, Brian falling backwards with an eruption of fur and fury on his arm. John pointed his gun at the other man. Drop it. Call off your dog, man. The boy's gun dropped onto the grass. Wisp, John said, and the dog backed away from Brian, still snarling. She was limping, carrying her front left paw at an odd angle. The woman ran from the truck's cab and knelt by Brian's side. You get away from that wagon and start walking, John said, pointing with his gun. Nearest town's about five hours that way. You'll be there by daybreak. You get going now. Your dog's nearly torn his arm off, the woman said as Brian scuttled backwards. She'll do worse than that if you don't get moving, John shouted, brandishing the gun. Brian, still clutching his wounded arm, scrambled to his feet and barged past her as he began to run. She staggered, recovered herself, and then started to run after him. The other two stared at John for a second, then one of them kicked at a tuft of grass. Damn it, ain't worth this crap. They turned and walked off into the night. John watched them go, guns still raised, long minutes passing in silence. Finally, he forced his stiff fingers to uncurl from the barrel of the gun, his shoulder aching from the effort. He knelt and scratched between Wisp's ears. Thank you, lass, he said quietly, checking her leg over. A patch of her hair was singed, the skin underneath burnt, but there was no blood, and he closed his eyes in relief. He carried her to the far end of the pen and activated the return signal on her collar. One by one, he took the MCs out of the flatbed, lifting their heavy chassis down. Before their wheels had even touched the grass they were spinning, each one zooming towards Wisp at top speed. As he lifted the last one down, the sky had lightened to grey, and John's eyes hurt with the grainy sensation of having been awake too long. 
Wisp limped out of the pen as the last MC rumbled in, and John deactivated the collar before closing the gate. The siren of a police drone finally sounded off in the distance, and John knelt to stroke Wisp soothingly. You did good, lass, he said as the black shape of the drone swooped down. We all did good. The drone landed, and John stood to meet it. <laughs>